I want to take a poll. I want everybody to participate in the poll. Last Sunday, I preached from up there. Now, where would you rather have me, up there or here? Honestly, this is a, I'm, I'm not joking about this. Up there? Up there? Right where I am? Okay, yay! <laughs> I don't like it up there. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Okay. So when you go to seminary, you get seminary words. Apocalypse is one. Now that's not exactly a seminary word. It's kind of leaked out into the general population. We, a lot of people know what apocalypse is. But how about eschatology? You would know. That's my friend Stephanie. She's visiting from here. Stephanie's in discernment in the diocese and wishing her best of luck. Eschatology. Here's the Wikipedia definition. The application of the apocalyptic worldview to the end of the world when God will punish the wicked and reward the faithful. Now there are people sitting around right now as we speak debating about the nature of the eschatology. What's going to happen at the end of the world? They're writing books. They're, they're debating, they're preaching, they're making a lot of money, I think, over this. The joke's on them, because we don't know. I mean, we just don't know. We don't know. So now this morning we're getting some gardening tips from Jesus. Leave the weeds, it's better for the crop. I don't know. Throwing the, throwing the weeds into the fire at the end of the day. The evildoers in the furnace of fire. Apocalypse. Eschatology. The end times. It's so divisive. You know, you've got, you got the weeds, and you've got the good corn, in another place in Matthew, you've got the sheep, and you've got the goats. From here on, I'd like the goats to sit on this side and the sheep to sit on this side so we can tell the difference. Very divisive. Weeds and the crops, sheep and goats. So if we find ourselves to be a goat, is there some way we can become a sheep? If we find ourselves a weed, can we become a rose? How can we be good enough? How can we be good enough? Can a sheep become a goat? I'm thinking that might be easier. We'll see, I don't know. Who can tell us what it takes to be good enough. God can tell us, of course, but God is not talking. He is not telling us, except through what we can learn 
through the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth. I think we can get a hint. But must we wait until we die to find out if we were successful, we were good enough? Or even in the parable, it seems, if you read it literally, which you never should never do, uh, it seems to imply that we must wait until everyone is dead and it's the end times, and then we'll find out if we were good enough. And maybe that's what purgatory is all about. Do you know about purgatory? Some of you who may have worshipped in the Catholic Church might know something about purgatory. It's that kind. It's it's a place where you might go and wait and see if you're good enough to move on to the next stage. Well, purgatory was a big sticking point in the Reformation. When the church, the Catholic church, and I'm not, I should be careful here. I'm not trying to denigrate the Catholic church, just the idea. But it was, it was kind of used as a, a tool. If you died and you went to purgatory, your family and friends and maybe whoever could, could pray enough and give enough that you would be out of purgatory. So if there was nobody to pray for you or to give for you, you're out of luck. That was called indulgences. Is it the church that's the arbiter of our salvation? I don't think so. Some versions of church have categories of sin. There's mortal sins, they're bad. There's venial sins, not so bad. Others offer salvation if one only believes. I think I am making a big mistake by trying to figure it out in my head. Because we just don't know. Last week, uh, I suggested that it would be better that we encounter the Scriptures with our heart rather than with our intellect. That's what I believe. Otherwise, I think we find ourselves going down the wrong rabbit hole. When we strive to follow Jesus today, as we read the Scriptures, read the teachings of Jesus, read the reaction of St. Paul to those teachings, especially in the, in the book of Romans, kind of the highlight of his whole career. Jesus makes it clear over and over again that the kingdom of God is here now. That the king, he goes on to say the kingdom of God is within you. So we can seek a way to be in the kingdom of God right now, right? Why would we not? Why would we not? There's a lot of reasons why we would not, but he was clear. He said this to the Pharisees who were asking him when the kingdom of God was coming. 
And he said, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. St. Paul touched on that too in, in the reading today, that, that hope is not something that can be seen. It's something, you know. The Gospels point out some, some barriers to the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. We'll sing that a little bit, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. The barriers, things that affect our relationship with God and one another, are pointed out. In our terms, selfishness, wealth, you can't take it with you. <laughs> you can't take it. Greed, possessions. It would be easier to drag a camel through an eye of a needle than to drag all your possessions into the kingdom of God with you. You can't take it with you. And the Gospels are just loaded with ways to experience the kingdom of God. Any act of compassion or generosity or unconditional loving kindness for one another or unconditional loving kindness for oneself. We were talking about that uh, between services in our contemplative uh, living uh, group that's gathered. I commend that to you if you want to come at 9 o'clock. It's been very interesting. It's very difficult to fully love oneself. We're so hard on ourselves. So hard. So here's a story. I love to tell you stories. There was a farmer who grew excellent quality corn. Every day he won the award for the best grown corn every year. Best grown corn. One year, a newspaper reporter interviewed him and learned something interesting about how he grew the corn. The reporter discovered that the farmer shared his seed corn, his seed, with his neighbors. We kind of harken back to that gospel a little bit. He shared his good seed with his neighbors. And so the reporter said, how can you afford to share your best seed corn with your neighbors when they are entering the corn competition with yours each year? A little paradox there. The reporter asked that. Why, sir, the farmer, didn't you know? The wind picks up the pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field. And cross-pollination will steadily degrade the quality of my corn if they do that. If I am to grow good corn, I must help my neighbors grow good corn. So it is with our lives. Those who want to meaningfully and well must help enrich the lives of others. 
Those who want to live meaningly and live well must help enrich the lives of others. For the value of a life is measured by the lives it touches. And those who choose to be happy must help others find happiness. And for the welfare of each is bound up with the welfare of all. Call it the power of collectivity. Call it the principle of success. Call it a law of life. The fact is, none of us truly wins until we all win. Here's a beautiful little poem, and I'll end. The poem is Only This Morning by the American poet Dan Gerber. In a hundred trillion years, an actual number, though we can't begin to grasp it, the last traces of our universe will not be even a memory, with no memory to lament it. The last dust of the last stars will not drift in the great nothing out of which everything we love or imagine eventually comes. Yet every day, Every four hours, around the clock, Debbie prepares her goat milk mix for the orphan filly who sucks down all three liters of it, gratefully, it seems, as if it matters more than anything in the universe, and it does. At this moment, while the sun's still four hours from rising, on the only day, it really matters.